Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. All right, welcome back, everybody. So if you listen to the first part uh, of my conversation here with Tim Glimkowski. We had a really fun conversation. We met Tim on the floor of, of a Steubenville conference at 18 years old, heard, heard his story, talked about parish renewal, talked about like true and false parish renewal. I want to begin today, Tim, as, as we dive back into this, I want to give you a chance to tell some stories about where you see God at work. In particular, I was really captivated by the story of St. Patrick's Parish in Vancouver, close to Vancouver, British Columbia, which again, for those like right Canadian geography, it's not the same place where Father Malin and Divine Renovation, total other side of the continent. Tell us the story of St. Patrick's in British Columbia. Yeah, well, I would, I would kind of contrast it, actually. I'd maybe even start with a, a different parish in some of the early days of Lalto, maybe a couple of years into doing what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And kind of one of these big, we talked about, you know, last time, one of those, you know, kind of vibrant, thriving parishes that have a lot going on and doing a lot of the right things, but like, are they really accomplishing the mission? And I remember I was asked by the pastor was kind of interested in working with Lalto. We had this, we called it a parish partnership. It was like a nine-month kind of accompanying journey just to start like, forming mindsets for the pastor and his leadership team and like how to kind of orient the parish on making disciples and execute on the four keys we talk about in the book and stuff. And so the pastor was interested in this and so brought me to talk with the parish council to kind of pitch them, you know, what this um, partnership was all about and explain some of the details, ask, answer questions and stuff. And I could tell, it was one of those conversations where I could tell the parish council just like wasn't very interested. And so it was interesting going into the conversation. I noticed on their website, like right at the top of the page, it was like, we exist in order to make disciples. It was like huge. You know, and then I got to the parish for this meeting. It was like on the bulletin, we exist to make disciples. And I'm like, man, maybe these people don't even really need me. You know, but we're having this conversation and I'm I'm kind of recognizing like, I don't know if like really the, the emphasis is there and the way it should be and all this stuff. So I kind of stopped at one point, maybe got a little bit too, my Irish got up in me or something like that. Cause some, <laughs> someone started kind of grilling me and poking at me and all this different stuff. And so I finally said, I, I handed, I put the bulletin on the table and I said, is this your mission statement at the top? And they're like, yeah, like we exist to make disciples. I said, if you don't, if you don't mind me asking, like, how do you do that? And they quite just kind of hung, right. They lingered and maybe 10 seconds go by, like literally we're just like sitting there. How do you do that? And they're just kind of looking at each other, looking at like down at the table and then one of them's like, well, we've got a men's ministry and we do, you know, they do what they watch that man's you in the basement. And we'll, what we got, you know, and like a few different kind of ideas came out for like initiatives that they had or something like that. So we were really with, with all like one of the, I think I'd say the centerpiece of it was this idea of like, if the mission of the church is to make disciples and the church has been very clear about the process where, but whereby that happens. Right. Like this is abundantly, this isn't like, we're not hiding anything in terms of this, you know, catechumenal model. You need to know, like, if there's going to be clarity throughout the organization, if there's going to be alignment throughout the organization, it's like you should be able to pull 100 parishioners and say, what's your guys' admission? What do you exist for? We exist to make disciples. And like, how do you do that? Well, we do this, this, and this, right? Like, what would you do yeah. for if someone was in you know, this part in their spiritual life? If you have any staff person, if someone's here, what, what would be the next thing you would invite them into? Like, people should just have that kind of clarity like if this is what we exist for, we have to know how we actually do that, right? Yeah, I mean, you you can imagine the ridiculous. It's like, what do you do? We fry the best chicken in the world. How do you do that? 
we're not, uh, we're, well, we do tons of stuff, you know, are you like, yeah, we, we have, I mean, there's, we catch up dispensers and we like, what, how do you, how do you fry that chicken? Yeah. And this, I think we think again, it's one of these things we think of it as like the Lord just kind of does that. It's like, of course he does, but he has to us participate. That's why he founded a church. So it's like, we need to know. So that when, when I found that St. Patrick's and I think it's Maple Ridge, British Columbia, Julia, you know, Hamley, I met the, their director of evangelization there, like kind of midway through my, my time working with Walto. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like, so I, I don't know if you can put like in the show notes or something, I have some PDFs or some images from the book, you know, kind of on there, but it's this, it's this yeah. perfectly simple. And, and what I love, so they, they basically, they done is they've articulated this path to discipleship. All the staff knows it. They talk about it all the time. They use it to make decisions. Like they, they're kind of rad, you know, kind of almost like diligent about like protecting their discipleship pathway is like, this is why we exist as a church. And these are the things we prioritize above all else. But the beauty of theirs too, is it's very principle based. It's not just like mm-hmm. the, the pathway is not just like this program fits here, but it's like we invite and like, here's initiatives that then like help us achieve this. But those are almost less important than like the principles of like what we're actually trying to accomplish in each step as we walk someone into really fruitful, you know, missionary discipleship in the parish. So I, I to this day, I would say that's probably my favorite parish discipleship pathway I've ever seen. So break it down, because I know many of our listeners are familiar with the concept of a clear path. But what are those kind of like major, I think you said like the principles, like the, you know, there might be multiple initiatives that are helping accomplish this, you know, fostering conversion. But what what are those principles? What are the things that are happening in each stage of their pathway? Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty simple, right? It's like, there's different like formulations for the Aparacita document from the Latin American bishops in 2007 talks about it a certain way. And that's what we would use with all. So like other People talk about it a different way, but it's basically this idea that like you have to start with some kind of like helping people to get to a place of openness to the possibility, you know, like kind of having their questions answered, building relationships of trust, becoming curious, like there has to be some kind of pre-evangelization work done. Then there has to be an opportunity to respond to Jesus in faith, right? To actually like encounter the Lord and then make a decision to follow. And then there has to be some kind of, once you've made that decision to follow Christ, growth in the spiritual life, which is often going to be found in community, right? In relation, we Christians grow in circles, right? So you're going to have some kind of, you know, opportunity to, but also growth in intellectual, spiritual, human, you know, even ministerial, pastoral formation, kind of the, the pillars of formation. And then once you've done that, people have to be equipped in, in, and sent out in order to actually bear fruit and be, bring people back through that pathway. So this is kind of what the church says, right? Like the, 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 yeah. the movements of that, that process of evangelization. So the idea behind a pathway was always then just, you know, how do you actually have like really clear and simple, articulated, promulgated, you know, strategically focused on kind of decisions that you make about how your parish, what your parish is. It's like, I don't, I don't care what you need to do, what you do in order to, you know, preach the gospel and invite people to a relation with Jesus Christ. You just got to do something, right? You got to, you got to build a culture that. Yeah. There's a thousand ways to preach the gospel. Right. Some are programmatic, some are retreat, some are small group based, but you do have to preach the gospel. Yeah. You do have to call people to conversion. You got to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Tim, just for the sake of clarity, give again, not that, you know, we're trying to box people in, but give some examples of some of the types of initiatives that they had 
in each stage? Yeah, so I think really um, for us, we would start thinking of different like programs and processes, evangelization processes, kind of at that evangelization stage. Up till then, like what you're really trying to do is just build a culture where most of the insiders, quote unquote insiders, have a very like invitational, welcoming kind of, you know, mm-hmm. sensibility. So some of the parishes like St. Patrick's and, and Maple Ridge, like what they do really well is they start with Alpha. So it's like if someone comes into the parish and they're going into marriage prep and they're cohabitating with their fiance and they don't have any, you know, they just grandma wants them to have a sacrament, a sacramental marriage, or, you know, I like him get married in the church. They write an alpha. So that, that's a place you're going to be welcomed. You're going to yeah. experience, you're going to hear the gospel for a first time. But then what they actually invite people to from alpha, alpha is kind of their landing page. They invite people to CCO, your Catholic Christian Outreach is kind of the Canadian focus. And they have these really great faith studies, the first of which is discovery that kind of focuses again on, you know, preaching the gospel and then does a really good job of kind of inviting conversion. And even they would admit- These are small group resources. In small groups. Yeah. So you have these very like leaders who have been through the process and kind of know how to intentionally accompany people through these faith studies to help them grow. And then they really use those faith studies as a key part. But what we always kind of encourage people to do then is, especially as people kind of grow in the faith, to start thinking in terms of, yeah, yeah, building community, building groups, but also like you can start folding back in other parish offerings there. There could be catechetical offerings that where people, as people grow in the faith, they're going to want to learn more about the faith, like do things for that or have, you know, that's when you really need to have a very strong sacramental scaffolding around a disciple's life where it's like, do you have enough confessions for, once you start making a lot of disciples, they're going to want to go to confession. Do you have that? And then for me, the parish, usually, to me, there's not an out-of-the-box program that does this really well. Some of the CCO faith studies, I think, do it really well. But how do you equip and then send missionaries? Yeah. We, we would work with parishes to do like leadership summits or to do different formation opportunities, to have mentoring opportunities to kind of do that. But you have to be doing something to actually invest and pour into. Like special times, I think, in a particular way, you can take people and and really kind of say, we're, we're, we're investing in you as a leader in order to lead others. So that's, but I think especially a lot of the kind of classic you know, programs or processes or series or whatever kind of fit often in that, you know, are they charismatic or are they kind of, are they kind of a win or a bill in many ways initiative? It's interesting. You you say that typically when parishes start down the process of creating a clear path, where do you think they typically start or where would you recommend that they start? I think you have to start with Michael Dopp is an evangelization thinker. He would call it the pump. And I love this. I still love it. It's like, this is the thing that we pump everyone into in order to like the normative experience. Like, yeah, whether it's Alpha or whether it's CCO or yeah. Christ Life or whatever, like what's the place where people can hear the gospel, receive radical hospitality, be in like initial accompaniment in the journey. It's like nail that. Even spend, honestly, even spend two years, like just getting your leadership culture right and nailing a, a major evangelization vehicle, you know, pump like that. Yeah. And it's like, just do those for a couple of years and then worry about, how you're going to start, you know, um, utilizing the fruit from those initiatives. But um, I think that's really where you start. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. We, we Internally here, we've been calling it a conversion engine. Yeah, that yeah, same I idea. Like that. It's, that, yeah. it's that thing that, that produces. I love the testimony that they give at, at St. Patrick's where they talk about how when they had people that had this common experience, right? This, like their pump, their conversion engine, they now have all these people that have had this common kind of conversion experience that it helps to create a unity and a mobilization, which to me really reminds me of the power of like ecclesial movements, 
we're blessed in Omaha. We have a really significant Spanish-speaking community. I know Denver does as well in pockets. And the Spanish-speaking ecclesial movements, they are a clear path of discipleship. Uh, I was talking to you know future guest of the of the show, Mirna Price. And Mirna and I were talking about she's part of these movements, and she's like, Yeah, there's there is this retreat. And it's like, yeah, my girlfriend invites me on this retreat. And this is, that is where I heard the gospel. And I didn't want to come. And she, she brought me. And everybody who's a part of the movement experiences that retreat. Yep, yep. And, and then from there, there is formation and accompaniment and community and the rest of the journey. But there, those things are common. And I think you see it, you know, focus is kind of a, a uniquely American, English-speaking version CCO in Canada, but for all of these movements, what you see is a commitment to move people from hostility and suspicion to a point of conversion and entrustment to build them up in the life of discipleship and then equip them and send them out. And however you do that, we want our parishes to feel like our ecclesial movements and to produce disciples like they do. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And what would the church look like if they all were, you know, and that's, yeah, we want people to take people from the world, bring them through a a process of growth in the life of Christ, and then back out into the world, right? Like on either side of this pathway is the world and how we're, you know, kind of reaching um, into it. I, I, it's, it's exactly that. And I think it has to be clear and it also has to be simple. Parishes can be sometimes as like, instead, especially bigger ones, like the bigger you get, like, it can be sometimes just like throwing stuff at the wall where it's like, we have, you know, we have to keep like the sacramental plate spinning. We have a lot of people who have to receive a lot of sacraments and that takes a lot of time, energy, effort, right? Like, and then we also, if anything's formational, it's just kind of like, again, almost the way we talked about the liturgy last episode, where it can be kind of like catch all, you know, what's just kind of be like going to be the thing that like most people can kind of get something out of. Did they get something out of it? And it's like, well, what do we want them to get out of it? Where, where did they come into it? Where do we want them to go? What do we want them to do next after this thing? Like there's so many kind of strategic questions around this discipleship process that often aren't answered in the way we normally do kind of formational experiences in the church. So the idea of a pathway is that by having it be so so clear and simple, it allows people to make handoffs between different things and to prioritize different things and to make sure things get enough resources and our leaders aren't burning out because they're trying to do too much. And like It just puts kind of a radical emphasis and focus on, it brings the, the mission of the parish to make disciples kind of front and center in a way that actually allows that to be prioritized in a way it often just kind of there's not time and space for for parishes to do so not only are these there are these clear internal benefits where we're actually making connections we're we're not burning out our staff people are moving forward but externally individuals can can access our communities and begin to recognize they can begin to kind of self-assign or like that's what I want. I want to grow or like, no, no, no. I have questions. That's what I want. And they yeah. can begin to plug in. They, they like to have these on-ramps into our community. Yeah. That's for me. And then we as it, it can communicate to them, like with this thing, if this is for you who are out there somewhere, I don't have to try to like appeal to my insiders with it. It can just be for you. And, and conversely, yes, if yeah. like, if this kind of prayer experience or whatever, this like, you know, adoration is for my insiders, well, I can talk about it in such a way that it's like, 
I don't have to really worry about appealing to the world because it's like, if this isn't for them, you know, I hope they come and maybe they can get something out of it, you know, like experience of it. But it's like, right. Everything, even in marketing right now is all about segmentation. And how do you speak to specific audiences with what you're doing instead of communicating so broadly? Because people don't want to just be generalized anymore. They want to know like, where do I fit? Is this for me? And and that's what it kind of allows us as a parish to do. That clarity and simplicity is so powerful. But I think there's misconceptions that like a clear path of discipleship means killing every pro every program you have, firing all your volunteers and say, we're going to do these four things. And if you don't like it, go down the road. That's not really what we mean. Talk a little bit like how do the other ministries and apostolates programs in the parish fit when you have a clear path of discipleship? Yeah, I think it's kind of funny, right? So we recently, we talk about the no bucket sometimes. I were even working with kind of closely with some parishes here and we had a conversation with a pastor and you know I talked about the idea like what clarity allows you to do is say no like if something comes up and it's going to like right. inhibit or get in the way of something that is really important it allows us to say no to that thing and you can see the pastor's eyes widen a little bit and then as we were having the conversation it was like okay it also makes you say have to say yes though right cuz like you need to you need to say am i actually doing these things like these principles of each kind of like step or part of the pathway are they being accomplished here and if not like we got to do something in order to to actually accomplish that and make that happen. But yeah, at the same time, like I tend to think most parishes are a little bit too busy. There's like a little bit too much going on. It was always the classic, like I was at a parish and I was running alpha and you go and you get back into the the vestio, the, the narthex area to try to get signups. Like who wants to come to alpha, you know, for this time around. And you're like one of seven tables that are out there. And it's like, oh, I think, yeah. I, I think there's a way to, to, to kind of structure things so that there's a little bit more like of a spotlight shine on the things that actually have to do with, disciple making and because if everything's equal then like or everything's important then nothing is but yeah at the same time it's like there's a lot of life that goes a parish life right there's a lot that goes into just like a community of people who are a parish that are committed to like this as members together that in like ways they want to operate and celebrate and, and do different things it's like that doesn't have to stop it's just you can also connect all those things into the pathway that's the key exactly. thing it's like yeah do the parish picnic have a, have a blast with it and then use it as an invitational tool for people into your pathway, you know, whatever you right. want to yeah. prioritize next. When we talk about, we use the metaphor, it's like there can be side streets. We just want them to lead somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. Just, they just need to go somewhere. Boy, there is a, a challenge at some point to prune and maybe pause to highlight particular ministries as a place where disciples are made or where people grow. Because that's where as a pastor, as a parish leader, as a particular ministry volunteer, that's where I get scared. Either I don't want to be special or I don't know how to talk about the fact that, yeah, but there's just something about our conversion retreat that's just going to get more attention. How do you navigate that as a parish leader? Because I think that's where a lot of, we get stuck and these beautiful moments get drowned out in the noise of selling script and the Boy Scouts and the cookies and the everything else that that's sitting in the foyer. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, to be honest with you, I think and I think you guys focus on this as well. Like, I think that's where organizational health becoming a team precedes a lot of the ability to make real progress with some of this stuff. Where it's like yeah. really having to start with having a healthy leadership team around the pastor you know, having a real sense of clarity around the mission with that leadership team and then communicating that clarity to like other leadership, you know, tranches within the parish. Like you kind of have to start there by getting everyone. Like we just had at the Archdiocese of Denver, a three-day 
pastoral center staff retreat where we, we shut down the pastoral center for three days and just had a, a charismatic kind of retreat. Cause it's like, you know, we can try to spin up new wine initiatives, but if we're just trying to like pour it into old wines, it's like, who it's not going to go anywhere. So I, I, I think there is like a degree of, there's a more fundamental issue there sometimes where it's like, if we're as a staff or as a team operating from a place where we're more concerned sometimes about like, is my thing going to perpetuate in the way I want it to? Like if it's the right thing and it's a good thing and it's bearing fruit in the parish, then there should be enough health in the team to advocate for why that thing still matters. Part of organizational health, why that helps us as parishes is it allows us to get over politics and minimizes those dynamics so that we can actually like focus on the mission. What happens with us as like church people is like, we're under a ton of pressure all the time. Like mm-hmm. it's hard working for parishes. It's hard working for dioceses. And so what happens is we get insecure and we're like, I need to prove that like it's it's important for me to still be here, that I'm making a difference, that I'm making an impact. And even like to God, we want to show God sometimes like, hey, this is why you called me. This is why, and it's like, hey, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed yeah. you to bear fruit. And so if that's our, our mindset as ministers in the church, like, that helps to minimize some of those. Yeah. So I, I don't think it should almost be about like, it, does the thing matter? But it's it's more like those things are are fundamental sometimes, the organizational health piece. It gives a freedom to be able to have conversations to say, are we bearing fruit? Is this tool accomplishing the purpose for which it is, you know, we have it so that we can indeed make disciples. And because we trust each other as a staff, we can actually conflict about that because I know it's not about me. Right. You're not saying you're doing a bad job. We are together putting the problem in front of us with trust with each other and our love for each other and saying, this is how humans get stuff done together. It's like they trust each other enough to argue about it. I'm an amateur historian. I'm reading uh, Stephen Ambrose's D-Day. And as he talks through... You know, any kind of D-Day, June 6th, 1944, I think. Yeah, yeah. As he talks about, you know, like it was not a sure thing. And part of what made the advantage was, unsurprisingly, with a crazy maniacal dictator, uh, the, the organizational health within the German military command structure was really fractured. Yeah, um, interesting. R- Rommel was a, was a fantastic general and leader, but the, the politics and the dysfunction and the like literally part of the reason they were not able to stop the D-Day invasion came down to poor organizational health. Yeah. Where, yeah. where the allies, on the other hand, I mean, quasi-miraculous, British, American, Canadian, French resistance, they're actually working together and they have a clear chain of command and a cooperation and clarity of purpose and goals and roles. It's really a striking demonstration of like the organizational health really really matters. I've become increasingly convinced over the years that it's more critical than we think sometimes. I think for us, what we've noticed is as we, you know, we've articulated a call, we said that there's a million things that characterize a missional community, which is what we want our parishes to be. They have beautiful liturgies and they're great at hospitality and that on and on and on. But we, we said there's three of them that kind of work like levers, collaborative leadership, a clear path of discipleship, and a culture of generosity, where particularly mm. where people are invited to give of themselves. Mm. We, we tend to articulate collaborative leadership first, because it's often chronologically first. It's kind of this necessary prerequisite to make progress in the others. But it's the clear path of discipleship that's the heart of it. It's like, right. The, the, right, the goal is like, how do we make disciples? Yeah. It's just 
the difficult question of retooling the way we work and finding the initiatives, the collection of initiatives that are right for us and our community to make disciples, that requires a teamwork that usually isn't the starting spot. A hundred percent. Yeah. The church has one mission and that's to like make disciples, to win souls, like for who will be become saints here and for all eternity, you know, be with God, glorifying him. And like, so it's, you know, I'm the, I'm the same way. Where I've become increasingly convicted about this organizational health piece, but I think you're right where it's like as a, a means to an end, like the, right. the, the end yeah. is still the mission. And if we're not doing it in order to make disciples, then like I could care less because we're, we're still, it's like, it's like if we're amazing at, you know, using the military analogy, it's like, we can like, we look great in our uniforms and we can like march around all day with our, you know, we have the great, like we can spin and our we guns. we love everywhere. each other. But it's like, if you can't at some point take that hill and say, <laughs> we're going to go together, then there's, there's no, there's just no point, right? Well, just or if you playing. don't have a, you don't actually have a sense, oh, there's a hill we should take if there is no sense of mission. Yeah. I mean, that's, so yeah. So that, that's the distinction of, and that's where I think like that missional kind of, or like even making those missional principles into organizational health is kind of a key piece of that, where it's like, do we have a real culture of, like we talked about, like, where it's like, this is, when we pray, we're praying in order to be spirit led, to discern, to like let God lead. Like you can, you can really suffuse those so that by the time it's not like a bait and switch, like we do all good meetings. And then all of a sudden we're trying to talk about making disciples. It's like, no, no, no. Like from the beginning with parishes, we can fold disciple oriented attitudes into the way we even start to try to become healthy as a team. Yeah. I don't think we actually can become healthy if it isn't an expression of our discipleship. I mean, I was thinking, yeah, you know, yeah. we had a wonderful talk in a little, you know, Curia retreat here where the, the staff that work most closely with the archbishop and, you know, our presenter made the, the, the point that like grace, that there's all sorts of things that we should be able to do just because we're human, but we're at a stage now, like we actually need grace to figure out how to pray. We need grace to just be friends. And there's like a lot of ordinary things that have been broken and organizational health is not something that like, okay, I'm just going to kind of take care of that on my own. And now we're going to invite like, man, I can't, I can't do organizational health without the Holy spirit and prayer and sacrifice. And yeah. Cause I need to be healed before I can really love people in that way. There's like things I need to grow in. And like, yeah, I can't just will myself to being the kind of person that's able to be a really effective and healthy team member. Yeah, I I love that. I think I 100% agree. Like even organizational health is not a merely human enterprise. I think that's really good. As we talk about a clear path, I think what that that does is it creates an imagination and I think an awareness uh, of people like, okay, but we're going to need some people. Like we're going to need some leaders to step into this work, both what is beautiful and then sometimes overwhelming for people as they think about, you know, a conversion engine or a pump as, as you all have called it, that fosters conversion is like, oh man, that's a lot of people. We're going to need somebody doing hospitality and food and setup and talk about what does it take to mobilize leaders for the work of parish renewal? A lot of it starts with really understanding Jesus's leadership structure. Like if, mm. if, if, if we're not trying to think in terms of, sometimes we jump right to that, right? Like who are the people who are going to do the work? Well, that's your 72, right? Like mm. you, you want to get there, but you have to start with your three. So like you pastor, or you leader, like who's your, who's your leadership team that's going to work with you to actually pray and discern that together. Then from them, who's your, your additional kind of like 12 or, you know, maybe depending on how big your parish is, maybe the, maybe the 12 is the 72, you know, if there's not right. a lot of like paid, some of our, some of like our that. real parishes is like, yeah. yeah, yeah. You just have a three and a 12 and that's great. Cause that's all you need. I love the Gideon principle, right? Where it's like, we sometimes think we need X in order to accomplish the mission because of what we see. Mm-hmm. And it's so dire and so big in front of us. And it's like, 
God sometimes wants to show us what he can do with what we've, we've already been given. Often there's a way to like help people see they've just been waiting for some kind of like clarity of vision and strategy that can actually like get them to move forward. So sometimes me, it's like with a conversion engine, like pray and invite and then see what you have, right? So Gideon has given all these men and, and finally like mm-hmm. whittles it down by all these criteria to like 300s. Like maybe you only have four people that you actually can count on as leaders and you think you need a 40 person alpha course, you know? Mm. And four people is not enough to have a 40 person alpha course, right? Because you're right. You need table leaders and you need food and you need all these different things. Well, with those four people then, do a CCO discovery faith study with them. Yeah. Like you're a charismatic small group. That's it. You, you have a you have a small group. That's all you have. So great. Like you do it with them, and then they'll do it with other people, and then they'll do it with other people. Like you can always start. All you need is is a is a, a spark. And, but like if all you have is a spark, then your strategy is going to be a little bit different than if you already have a campfire blazing, right? Versus yeah. if yeah, if you have all these people who are yeah, take them through a charismatic experience, and then launch like a you know a really cool alpha course that you can like put up signs all over town and invite people to. And so I think that's you know kind of sometimes we're looking for we think it has to be this way, and that's where having that principle again. Of like what, what is God actually doing here helps us step back and say, we never have less than we need. Five loaves and two fish was always enough to feed 5,000. Yeah. We never have less than we need. Take us a, a step deeper. So a parish is like, how do they, I mean, literally at the level of like, okay, whiteboarding, like you're in the, you know, you've, it's the pastor and his, his three, right? Like Jesus had Peter, James, and John. This is the pastor with his three. They're in the, you know, their little conference room together. And they're like, okay, who do we have? Like, Literally, how do you do that? How would you advise that group to begin to take stock prayerfully and naturally? Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question. Yeah, we would, um, I mean, we've done, di- depending on different, like who the group is, like I actually really like the idea of like a focused depth chart. Like I think there's kind of a cool, like who are the five to you know seven people that God has kind of put in your life right now that mm-hmm. you're being called to reach and personally invite into something. I think uh, probably it begins by defining like, what are we actually looking for, right? So if you're looking for someone to actually like cook a dinner, that's one thing. There's kind of two options, either like I, we call it in the archdiocese, we call it an apostolic mindset. Like, do mm-hmm. they kind of like have this way of viewing ministry and the world that actually is like, consonant with the kind of renewal, like missional renewal that we're trying to. So we talk about, you know, do you have kind of a, an utter reliance on the Holy Spirit? Like, are you willing to follow Jesus in a way that's costly? Do you have a sense of calling, like a unique calling in your life from the Father? Do you have a, a conviction of the primacy and power of the gospel? And then, you know, ultimately, do you recognize that this moment requires a joyfully countercultural witness, right? So that's someone I'm looking for. I'm looking for a volunteer. So you can like, put that's those not just here. a missionary disciple. That's an apostle. That's an that's, apostle. That's yeah. like the, that's the finished product, you know? So now you, so you might, you could start with how many of those do we have who are like already there? Or I'm just a big fan of like, sometimes like starting with people who are ready, available, you know, kind of almost like the, the fact thing, faithful, available, right. contagious. And then start by preaching them the gospel. So start by like, spending a period of time just like with a group really pouring into them and helping them to see reality differently before you even start to try to go talk about how are we going to take this group and and do something with them how are they going to lead something because no matter what even if they're the person that you know runs every ministry in the parish it's amazing sometimes when you get one on one in conversation with people how much some of these fundamentals like maybe there there's like real need for you know diff some of those mindset shifts still to really happen man i love that i feel like that is so freeing 
I mean, what, what you're saying is like, yeah, gather those people, whoever they are, wherever they're at. And yeah, some, you may be able to immediately say, all right, we want you to use your gift of hospitality. We want you to cook. But for some, there's this, it's not an either or, let's gather together and let's again, immerse ourselves in the good news. And, and let's again, kind of rediscover this call upon our lives to be witnesses. Tim, we're, we've had like this fantastic conversation here. I want to give you a chance again for, for someone who has been listening to this and they're like, gosh, I want this. I want this for my parish. Where do they get started? Like, and they're just, you're just not quite sure where to begin. What would you say? I was just talking to a guy the other day who was at a parish who was asking the same question where it's like, you know, where do we start? In my mind, like, I think parishes are more broken than we realized. Like, I think, I think parishes cultures are generally even more dysfunctional than like it seems where like, we really do sometimes think a few tweaks and like, we're going to like be off and running. Like, I think there's deep, long work here. That's going to be required for us to really see renewal. A lot of job security. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully this is going to take us all 10 years. So like nobody go anywhere. Like, you you know, (laughs) if you really needed to do some deep work in terms of like your fitness or your, well, you would need a coach. I just, I really, I'm so convicted about this idea that like parish leaders, like you can try to do it on your own. You can read some books, you can bring in some speakers, you can have a retreat. You can like, you know, work with your pastor leader, hand him the book, try to work through the principles together. But like, if you've got a pastor who's open to some of this stuff and you're on staff or something and you're convicted about it, it's like your next step should be like, who can help us? Because just having that, like I know for us being coached by Acts 29 at the Archdiocese, like having that outside perspective and someone who can like speak truths that it's hard for us to speak sometimes or hear sometimes. Oh, and like, amen. Yeah. That's how it gets done, right? Like great athletes keep trainers on their, LeBron James pays his trainer like a million dollars a year. Yeah. He doesn't do that because he's a bad basketball player. He does that because that's <laughs> right. how you like. Only the bad guys have coaches. No, it's like, this is, so I, I'm convicted about that. You need, yeah, whether it's, you know, I don't, I know you guys are accompanying parishes or Ron Huntley or whoever, like that would be my advice, I think. Yeah, that's huge. Tim, you have been such a clear and articulate voice. Your book, Made for Mission, we're going to link it here in the show notes. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. That's ironic that I was like, you know, if you would ask me the question, Jim, what would you say? I'm like, read Tim's book. And Tim's <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of funny. again the things people like, can say that you can't say. I know, yeah, you didn't. Super, yeah, you yeah, didn't. Yeah. You didn't go there, which is awesome. Which is why they should buy the book. <laughs> Talk a little bit about just a couple of other places where people can go to find inspiration and fodder for for this journey. Yeah, I love the Divine Renovation books. I love Ron Huntley's website and podcast. I love. The Acts 29 podcast, I think is really good, especially on some of those like fundamental mindsets. I do think the stuff you guys are doing is, you know, among the the most kind of innovative in, in the the country from an archdiocesan office. So I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't want to just talk to you guys a little bit. But yeah, I think there's some good voices out there. Amazing Parish has some amazing resources. Their conference is really, really good. Their conference is a mm-hmm. great place to start. Like if you just bring your parish leadership team to their conference and get like some of those initial like thoughts on how to get healthy, that's a great place to begin. Yeah, a certain CCO, if you with the intentional accompaniment stuff, has really good kind of coaching and resources. The stuff's out there. It's just kind of like what you're looking for and, yeah. and kind of where you begin. And revive parishes. So my course is available on form now. They put it on form.org because there's a partnership with the Augusta Institute that was always okay. there. But we had made a, a platform, yeah, of courses for um, like video courses taught by different experts on like different evangelization topics. And I do think it's one of those things where it's like, I, you know, I helped with the content and we make it. So you're kind of like, 
you know, you're sometimes you're so close to something like the book. I was convinced like everyone was going to hate it until it came out. You know, you're like kind of just too close to something. But it's one of those things like I, I, I remember recently going back into one of the courses and watching some of the chapters and I'm like, there's some really good insights here that are like, I'm like taking notes, you know, on. Um, so I think there's some, uh, yeah, there's reviveparishes.com. It's a free site now. It's donor funded now. Um, a donor Fantastic. stepped up to just cover it. So you can, there's like what? 15 courses on there. Yeah, I mean, na- right. Name drops, Tim Gumkowski, Father Mike Schmitz, Patrick Lencioni, Jillian Stans, like it's- Christophanic on it, on like evangelization and the new evangelism. Yeah, so there's some really good, uh, Lisa Brenningmeyer's course on women's ministry is phenomenal. It's like, yeah. it's got a lot of like universal, like just like, oh, any ministry should kind of do this if you want to like love people well. And uh, yeah, there's yeah, a lot stewardship of stewardship and development. There. There's all sorts of great stuff like that. We'll link to that in the show notes too. Tim, thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for your, you're a gift to the church. I love your voice on these things. You're not just a writer and a speaker. Like you are, you're in the trenches and you are in conference rooms and come on, father, you can do this. And I mean, you're a cheerleader and you're a coach and you're with people in this. Thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, people should hear maybe my last note will be like, yeah, I'm praying for you. <laughs> And I'm praying for you, yeah, because I know how hard this is. Again, I'm very hopeful. I'm very optimistic about what the power of God can do. This work is, it involves humans and humans' lives are messy and this is slow. The thing you want to know, like starting out on a parish renewal journey is like, I promise you, like if you put your, like those three principles you mentioned, generosity, uh, the the or, you know the kind of organizational help, you guys had better ways of saying them, the career path to discipleship, like if, if parishes in Omaha or anywhere, whoever's listening, like walk those principles, like those are the right principles, you know? So like you do that for three years, you're going to look back and be like, whoa, like what just happened? You know, you, you do that for five years and your parish is going to start being like, whoa, what has happened here? And you do that for 10 years and your town, your city is going to start to say, whoa, what is happening here? Like, I just promise you, like my quote's always from Remember the Titans. I played football and he, he talks, he says, we run six plays, right? It's the Veer option. It's like Novocaine. It works every time. Like you do the right things and you pray in the, like, and you are open and you surrender to God and you tell him like, he wants this more than you do. Amen. So like, if you're setting out on a journey right now, like just have confidence that like this stuff actually works. The gospel is not irrelevant. It still satisfies and is the only thing that is ever capable of satisfying every longing of the human heart. Uh, and if you devote yourself to that, not only will you be blessed, but uh, an incredible amount of people will, will have their lives literally changed and saved because of your efforts. So like, that's worth it. It's worth those meetings where you're like, what am I doing? You know, um, it's worth it. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you, Tim. Great word. That's a great note to end on. Folks, if you have enjoyed this conversation, share this episode out with somebody who needs the encouragement, who needs the inspiration and a little bit of an imagination of of what this can be. We're on all the the major platforms. I mean, if you're listening, you're probably listening on your favorite platform right now. So hit pause and share this out with a couple of friends who could use the encouragement. Thanks, everybody. Mm